Man, what a joy to worship with you today. Thank you, team, for leading us so beautifully. We're going to have them back at the end of the service, so they're gonna, we're going to do a little more worshiping together before we all go, go our separate ways. We're coming down to, really, for some of us, this is the last Sunday morning of the year. Some of you will be with us on Christmas morning, but for some of you, it's the last chance I'll get to, to speak to you on a Sunday morning until we turn the calendar into next year, and that's kind of snuck up on me in some ways, and I trust maybe uh, it has for some of you as well, but we're going to ask God to do some good stuff here today. I want to welcome you. We're just delighted to be uh, gathered together and to worship the Lord together. Advent season is rolling along. Winter is definitely here by the temperature this week. Uh, if you were late coming in a little bit, just let me remind you, Christmas Eve, we're going to be doing our candlelight uh, services. We're going to be lighting the Christ candle on the Advent wreath, and that is one of my favorite services of the year as we gather together and, and share the light of Christ with our candle lighting. And uh, so we want to invite you to be a part of one of those three services. They're all going to be identical in their content, uh, but we would love to see you here on Christmas Eve. Christmas morning and New Year's Day, we have one service. That uh, detail, Those details are in your bulletin as well just want to remind you of that um, I don't know about you but in this season one of the things that I am struck with is the waiting that we have to do and the amount to which I dislike it is anybody with you on, with me on that like we're not naturally good at waiting and today, as we talk about being a return-ready church, that theme is going to infuse its way in to the message. So this week, I've been doing a lot of waiting at a local uh, phone, uh, mobile phone store. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Some of you might even work there. It's a great establishment, but to protect the, the names of the innocent, we'll just call it Dexfinity. Um, <laughs> And so I've been spending a lot of time there trying to work out an issue uh, that we've been having with our cellular service. And it's been one of those things where I thought in the beginning, like, okay, they, they fixed it, it's going to be fine, I have to go back. Oh, they fixed it, it's going to be fine, they go back. I am now on a first name basis with most of the people that work there. The guy that greets you when they come in the door, he knows me by name. Last time I he's Aaron, how you doing, man? I'm good, man, I'm back. He's like, that's great. Hey, just go to your normal spot. I said, that's fine. You know what I mean? Pretty soon I'm going to be meeting with them in the coffee break section you know maybe they'll even put me on payroll I don't know the problem's still not worked out and I do not like waiting so I'm trying to figure out what to do so I want you to think about the areas in which you are waiting in this season as you go through what does it mean to be a return ready church it's all about waiting for the second coming of Christ. Now to review a little bit if you haven't been here with us during this series, we've been talking about what does it mean to get our hearts ready in this Advent season. We talk about being re uh, repentance ready, meaning that we want our hearts to be in line with the heart of Christ. And so repentance is not something we fear. Repentance is, is a gift to us in which we on a daily basis are receiving the new morning mercies of God. And even today we put that into practice. We talked about being a revival-ready church, specifically the infusion of the life of Christ in the church. And that's you today. When you say, Jesus, I need the life of Christ in me and all the places that feel dead, that is talking about revival and inviting the revival work of Christ. We talked about being a harvest-ready people, which is, which is when we awaken to the need of Christ in our world. We talk about that as awakening. And today I want to talk about being a return-ready church. 
We've noted that we do not control the way that God works in these areas, but when we are getting ready, we are meaning that we are anticipating and expecting that God desires to work. We're making room for Him as we pray and as we invite, as we welcome and receive, and as we respond to His presence, even as we have been doing already today. And in the spirit of being a return-ready church, I want you to turn to the epistle of 2 Peter, sort of deep into the New Testament, and I want you to read with me a set of scriptures that will kind of cover this topic for us. We're going to read verses, uh, the first 13 verses today, uh, and we'll go through it kind of one section at a time in the context of this message. The, entitle, the, the title for this passage of Scripture is The Day of the Lord, and it's all about what is it like when this thing finally comes to an end and the return of Christ is finally here, and I'll give you a little heads up. It's not necessarily a happy, pretty picture. It's frightening in some ways. In fact, you'll come to the end and say, why did you pick this for the, the Sunday before Christmas? But hold in there with us because I think it's really important for us as we talk about what does it mean to be a return-ready people. So, Peter starts this passage by saying, this is my second letter, I've written, I've written because I want you to be awakened to certain realities. And this is what he says beginning in verse 2. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming He promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. I'm going to pause there, stick your finger in, because we're going to keep going on as we go through this heavy Christmas scripture. But let me tell you the heart of this passage and why it's so important in the heart of this message. It has been said that Advent has more to do with the second coming of Christ, perhaps even than the first. In light of this, we're called to be a return-ready church. And that means that when we come into a relationship with Christ, what we are living for is drastically changed. What we are hoping for is drastically changed. And I smile as I look at some of your faces because I've heard this testimony in your stories to say, I used to live this way. I used to be after these things, but God has changed the trajectory of my life. Our attention begins to shift from that which is temporary to that which is eternal. We start to understand these things in a more profound way. In fact, if anything, you were to underscore for this message, just, you know, this is about me understanding what it is to focus on that which is eternal instead of simply that which is temporary. So here's the big picture in this passage talking about the day of the Lord. These first verses set the stage for us revealing a bit of a wake-up call to the big picture of Scripture. And what I mean by that is this, that this idea that we're heading toward something 
And the return of Christ is written about by Peter. It's affirmed by Paul extensively. It's talked about by Jesus himself in many ways. And yet we get in this, in this passage of Scripture a very descriptive idea of this day of the Lord. History is moving toward the second advent of Christ. The king is coming back. That is the underscoring of this passage. In fact, we see all the way back in Acts chapter 1, this is the ascension of Jesus. He's gone up into the heavens and he's left uh, the church in this ragtag group, essentially of a prayer meeting kind of folks. He said, go wait for the Holy Spirit. He ascends and then as they're looking up into the, the sky, there's these angelic beings that are there and they say, why are you looking in the sky? This same Jesus who you saw go, he's coming back in the same way. And from that point all the way until our modern day, we are in this season of waiting. Not always easy to wait. And Peter knew that even in his time because he says scoffers are going to come and they're going to say, where is this coming he promised? That's what we just read. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You know, that, that comment, that strikes my heart and I suspect it strikes your heart as well because in a season of waiting... We have not seen what we are waiting for and our parents didn't and their parents before them and their parents were 2,000 years into this waiting thing. It would be very tempting for us to say, along with the scoffers of Peter's generation, to say it just, everything just continues to go as it always has. But the promise is that it is going somewhere and this is moving toward an end. So we see this kind of uh, set up in these first few verses of the, the passage for us. Where is this coming that he promised. And then he goes on to say this, but what, what the scoffers miss is this, God has been intervening. And then he references creation. He references the flood of Noah, which is kind of fascinating to me because we just taught on that not too long ago and thinking about how God, you know, through one person, uh, though he was destroying the world, he saves one family. And now the inversion of this in Christ, that though the, the wrath of God poured out on one for the blessing of the entire world. But we see this as another intervention. Advent, as we come into this season, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the advent and the intervention of God coming into our world. All right, so what I wanna to do today, we sort of set it up that way. Let me just look at three things with you when we talk about being return ready. Number one, I wanna talk about sort of the waiting game. I wanna talk about the investment strategy that this passage seems to indicate. And then I wanna talk about the introspective life. This is a good time for us to be a little introspective. Uh, so, so here's the waiting game. So uh, this comes as an official, as, a, as an answer to the scoffers who are deliberately overlooking the intervening work of God and as an encouragement and an explanation for those who are saying, how long is it gonna be? And Peter introduces a fascinating discussion on God who exists outside of time. And this kind of invokes a very deep and heady line of thought or a thought experiment wherein time as we know it is a created construct by God but by which he is not bound. So I, I find this sort of fascinating. Even I remember being like middle school, probably sixth grade, and beginning this kind of thought experiment. What does that actually mean that God exists outside of time? And though in sort of theory I can get my mind around pieces of it, I, I don't know what it's like to exist outside of time, and yet here's how Peter describes God's waiting and even giving an ex explanation for it. He says, do not forget one thing. This is verse eight. 
Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But then listen to this. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance ready. We come back to this again and again and again. But here's what Peter is essentially saying. I know it is frustrating because we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus was clear about that. We don't know when he's coming back. We know that he's coming back. But in this process of waiting, understand that every day of waiting is the evidence of the patience and mercy of God who doesn't want people to be lost, but wants people to be found and wants people to come to repentance. This also introduces the very simple concept that we deal with every day when it comes to waiting because we are bound by time and we oftentimes find ourselves we don't want to waste the time that we have. I don't like waiting at the store as I already shared with you, but I do it. I'm waiting. I show up and they say, well, it's gonna be 20 minutes, so I wait. Then I talk to a person. They said, we haven't figured the problem out yet, so I wait. I got home and I said to Amy, I said, I'm back. She said, did they fix the problem? I said, they didn't fix the problem, so we wait. Today, we continue to wait on this thing. I don't like waiting. You don't like waiting. Recent studies have shown that modern attention spans have been reduced to less than nine seconds. I want you to think about that for 10 seconds. (laughs) Go. I can't make it that far. That's just too much. Some of you are already on to different things. They, they do say that officially puts us uh, at a lower attention span than goldfish with our ability to stay focused. So there is something in the, in the discipline of waiting and staying focused in the, in the moment. But I want you to think about that. Verse 9 actually gives us deep insight into the heart of God. Every day of his delayed coming, though frustrating to those who don't know the day or the hour, every day is an act of mercy. And we see his heart here, not wanting anyone to perish, but people to come to a place of repentance. Um, There is an ongoing work of redemption and restoration that Jesus Christ is doing in the world right now. Every day... In this world, people are coming to faith and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every day, there is a work of restoration that's being done in families and lives, people overcoming addiction, that which is broken being made whole, in a very sweet Isaiah 61 kind of mission statement of Jesus sort of way. The interesting thing is that we don't know what the time is, but we are called to be return ready. So the question I would ask you, and I think what Scripture begs of us is this, Are you return ready? And here's what I mean specifically by that. When you look at the teachings of Christ, you see him like, for example, in Matthew 13. He gives the parable of the weeds. This is one we don't talk about a whole lot. The parable goes like this. Farmer goes out and he sows his crop. The crop starts to come up. The workers come to the farmer and they say, wait, I thought you put all good seed out here, but we've got weeds and good crop all kind of intermingled. And the farmer says, just leave it as it is. When it comes to the harvest time, we're going to separate and sort all of those out. So the weeds are going to get burned. They're going to, they're going to be destroyed. The, the harvest is going to be gathered in. The, the metaphor is not too hard to follow. Essentially, that you are right now in the midst of a world that has good crop 
and it has weeds. Which one are you? So the idea of being return ready is saying that God has worked in my heart or my life so I don't have to fear the end or the harvest. It's a very interesting thing, but now is actually the time to do business with Jesus on a personal level to say, are you actually return ready? Because there, there will come a point in time that you can't just give lip service to who he is. There's actually, and, and again, this is a frightening, sobering thought, but I want to tell you, it does not have to be a thought that's riddled with fear. If that thought brings fear to you, the idea that Jesus is coming back, everything's going to be sort of laid bare, everything exposed, my motivation, your, your motivation, my heart, your heart, and ultimately, your standing with God is going to be revealed. So if you're, if you're return ready, here's what that means. It's the difference between earning and receiving. If you're in the place where you would say, well, I'm just going to chalk it up and I, I've Try to be a pretty good person and everything, you know what I mean? There's a fear with that because what if you haven't done enough? That's the question. My work, my effort, and I have fear. But there's a joy that comes in receiving when I say I receive Jesus' finished work for me so that being return ready means I don't have to fear the end when it comes because I am firmly established in his track record and not mine. And I know my faults. I know my failures, at least some of them but I also know that my hope is in Christ. So that's sort of the difference in the time to do business with Jesus is now. The question is simply, are you return ready? And if the idea of the return of Christ brings fear, do some business with that today. Uh, here's the second thing I wanna look at with you, the return ready investment strategy. Look at verse 10. Once again, we got the world burning. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. I want you to, I want you to again, here's a heart question for you. If you were to evaluate the shape of your last week, how much of your life is currently consumed with things that are temporary in nature? That's a good return-ready kind of question to ask. Oh, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Um, I, I read about this guy who was a, a tennis player. He was in high school, pretty good. Uh, had a chance to play in college. So we went and visited this college where he was hoping to, to go. He did end up going there, and he saw that they had uh, like this MVP trophy with all the names of the recipients. And so he said, I made a commitment. I was gonna get my name on that trophy. And so he did go to school there. He did play tennis there. And he got his name on that trophy twice. So he's pretty proud of himself. He had, he had achieved, it's good to have a goal, right? You have a goal, you go after it, he achieves his goal. So then he becomes semi-famous. And now he's, he's doing some touring. His alma mater asked him to come back. Years have gone by. And whenever he would go back to his school, he said, I'd like to go to the trophy case and see that trophy with my name on it. Not once, twice. So I was the only person to have my name on it twice. And so he goes, I was, I was visiting my alma mater. I went to the trophy case, and the trophy wasn't there. So I thought, maybe they're polishing it or something, you know. And he said, I went out, and he said, I was in this back alley, and no joke, they must have just thrown it away because it was sitting in a trash can. And he goes, I had to kind of take inventory of how much time and energy and effort and how much that meant to me to get my name on that trophy. 
But the fact of the matter is, it was very much a temporary sort of thing. It had come to the point where it wasn't even worth displaying anymore. My big life achievement got thrown in the trash can. I I wonder if, like, when you look at the, the teachings of Christ, you see him using examples like the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. Essentially saying, and again, this is, it's the same theme, again, that, that the master has gone, but he's left certain things with the workers, and when he comes back, he says, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? And the moral of the story, essentially, is it doesn't matter if you're given a lot or you're given a little, that the king is coming back, and he wants to know what you have done with what has been entrusted to you. So now we see this kind of investment strategy Uh, Jesus specifically taught we should not lay up treasures on earth but treasures in heaven and he said where your treasure is your heart is going to be there so I want you to think about this imagine how much we run after temporary things now don't hear what I'm not saying because what I'm not saying is that the only thing of value in your life should be eternal your life would look very strange if you said I'm not going to do anything unless it has eternal value right you know you wouldn't probably make your bed, uh, you wouldn't do work on your car. You, I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that you do. And so as, as believers in Christ, we actually walk holding intention that which is temporary and that which is eternal. Uh, sitting in a phone store <laughs> most of this week and overhearing customers contemplate purchases, overhearing customers yell at the workers who now have become my personal friends, I even said to someone, I said, man, you guys have a tough job. They're like, oh, man, you, you haven't seen the habit. Stick around here a little bit longer. I said, I probably will. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's, it's, it's temporary stuff. But people get really wrapped up in it. So, so as I was kind of getting wrapped up in my own frustrations of like, man, it's taking forever, and this is important. And I, I clearly heard the Spirit of the Lord say to me, you know this is a first world problem, right? It is. It's a first world problem. So the the scriptural concept is this. Most of the things that we invest in and even much of the things that we give our hearts to are flammable. Like they're going to burn. So it makes you think differently about how am I investing my life? Am I investing my life in eternal things that actually matter for the long haul or am I giving myself to things that are not worth it. There was a sort of funny story. I, th- I think it was a bit of an urban legend, but it went kind of like this. There was this guy that was a lawyer, and he bought a box of very expensive cigars, and he forced his insurance company to remunerate him after the, the cigars were lost in a series of small fires. <laughs> and he actually won. So he, he won money from the insurance company uh, and, and was very proud of himself for his, his, his thinking ahead and his planning and all that kind of stuff and how he got the better of them. Then the insurance company took him to court uh, for a series of small arsons uh, with each of the pr- destructive uh, property. And anyway, so he, he didn't make out well in that. The bottom line is most of the stuff that we think is really important is flammable, it is burnable, it's not going to last. So it causes us to maybe be reflective a little bit. You cannot be return ready if you're only invested in earthly treasures. So I think that's a great sort of heart question to wrestle with 
in this Advent season as we're dealing with stuff in our own hearts? What does it mean for me to return ready, be returned ready? Well, I can't be 100% invested in things that are temporary. And so Peter's saying, remember who we are. Remember what's coming. Remember what we have in Christ. And that kind of takes us into our last, uh, last point here of being returned ready. Think about this introspective life. Uh, I, want, I want to read verse 11 with you, but, but let me just say this before I do. I found this to be interesting that my friends who are Jesus-loving people and are older seem to be much more in touch with things like the return of Christ. It's like maybe because they have lived out and learned and they've gained and lost and everything and kind of come to terms with what really is important in life and the temporary nature of a lot of things and the things that they don't want to give their heart to. Maybe it's simply that there's a growing longing in them that the farther along that they go, and I think I can relate to this as I get closer to my middle years or wherever I am uh, in this journey, that there's just a lot of life that doesn't satisfy And Peter would actually say, that's not a bad realization. And when we begin to get introspective, we see that there are things that actually do matter. So here's what he says in verse 11. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That is a great question. And he answers his own question this way. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives, As you look forward to the day of God and you speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In light of that, what kind of people ought we to be? I find this interesting that he not only says, yeah, we should live holy and godly lives, but he also says that we would uh, speed the coming of the day of the Lord. What does he mean by that? Well, the founder of our denomination, his name was A.B. Simpson, he started a global missions movement, and he was deeply moved by Matthew 24, 14, which says this gospel has to go to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. And he said, basically, we are bringing back the king as we take the gospel all around the earth. We're, we're, we're expediting, or we are speeding the day of the Lord. And so that would fall very much in line with Peter's writing in 2 Peter 3. So a, a nihilistic worldview tells us life is meaningless, but that is not the biblical answer that Peter is going for here. Your culture around you tells us that you've got to live for the moment. You've got to suck up all the, everything you can out of life. But that's actually not the biblical answer either. The biblical answer seems to look more like this, that we acknowledge the concept of desire fatigue. That's a phrase that Pastor Aiden gave me this week. In other words, that we can get a little off track in our waiting because the longer we wait for something and don't have it fulfilled, the longer it is to get a little discouraged, and so we need to kind of constantly come back. We acknowledge that. Some of us are feeling that even now, desire fatigue. But we also acknowledge that we were made for something more than what we see before us. I don't know if I fully got this down yet. And yet I think in my own heart, it's like if I could help my church see one thing, it would be to constantly say, you're made for more than the temporary world you see in front of you. C.S. Lewis said it beautifully. He said, if I find myself in myself a desire 
which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for a, another world. And maybe when I find myself feeling discouraged, which I do at times, when I get a little bit down, when I start to feel overwhelmed, I felt a lot of that this week. But I wonder if in that experience, God is actually in his mercy helping me see that I was made for more than simply what this world can offer. And you were too. Gives me a little bit of encouragement. Meanwhile, we live introspectively. We consider the trajectory of our life. Where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you becoming? How are you growing? Where do you need to grow? Those kind of consideration questions help us to become a return-ready people. We consider the patience of God. The patience of God, that every day of mercy is one in which others might come to repentance. We consider the investment of your life, that which is temporary, that which is eternal, and holding the tension of those two. We live an introspective life. If we believe that Christ is coming back, we live an introspective life. I'm going to give you just one last encouragement, but I'm going to ask our choir. You guys did such a great job. Why don't you guys come on up and get yourselves ready? Since there's like several of you to get in place, you go ahead and start moving now. Just jump up there. You can lead us in just a moment. I'm going to ask you as a church family, uh, maybe you could stand, because I'm going to pray just a blessing over you, um, and I want you to be able to receive that. Our goal through this series is we want to be a repentance ready, a revival ready, a harvest ready, and a return ready people. That's heart stuff that God wants to do in us. Now, we wait. And in that waiting, we're getting ready to light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve, a beautiful symbol of the light of Christ coming into our dark and broken places. For many of you, this is the last message I'll get to speak to you on a Sunday morning in this calendar year. Some of you will be off doing Christmassy things. Maybe you'll all show up on Christmas morning and surprise me, but I suspect some of you have other plans. It's all good. This is a good season for us to reflect and to ask God to prepare our hearts in this season of Advent. And so I want to look at you. Hmm. We are a work in progress, are we not? And there are things that God has done well for us. Sometimes God has done good things in spite of us. I am really aware of that to be true in my own life right now. And yet I give God the glory for the good work that he has done. Some of us have things that have been left undone. And maybe even in the process of getting a little more return ready, that might be part of the process for us to say, Lord, maybe there's some things that have been left undone. But I want to pray for you, and I want to bless you, and then we're going to lift up our, some more praise to the Lord as we get ready to close. Um, would you receive this prayer today? Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful that you are really good at the heart stuff. And so, Lord, I just pray that throughout these weeks as we have been journeying together and you're revealing different things and in different ways and you're, you're showing us the places where we're still very much in process. I also ask God that you would give us maybe some concrete things today. 
Lord, there might be places that we would just say, I've been so wrapped up in the temporary things. I'm giving my life to temporary things. And you sense the Spirit of God saying, I'm calling you into some deeper waters. As you receive this blessing today, I want to share with you just a a quote that Amy shared with me because she knew I was dealing with some, just some weightiness. I was feeling heavy and some different things. And she shared this with me this week. It was a quote from A.W. Tozer. And so I would just speak this over you as a blessing. He said, the great saints of the past have all had yearning hearts. Their longing after God all but consumed them. It propelled them onward and upward to heights toward which less ardent Christians look with languid eye and entertain no hope of reaching. But may we offer this word of exhortation. Pray on. Fight on. Sing on. Press on into the deep things of God. Keep your feet on the ground, but let your heart soar as high as it will. So as I needed that this week, I I share that with you as a blessing that you too would keep your feet on the ground, but let your heart soar as high as it will. God, would you give us the gift of being a return-ready church? in all the ways that you want to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. If we don't see you before Christmas, Merry Christmas. And we look forward to seeing you in the next year. Let's lift up some praise to the Lord as we wrap our service up.